Back when I was in high school, I really enjoyed playing basketball. Uh, I was at a small school, and uh, please forgive my lack of modesty here. But in that little context, I was seen as pretty good. And I remember once reading in the library and a student came in and, and began talking to me and said, uh, Ken, if you work hard at your game, I could see you having a flourishing career as a college player, and if you work hard there, maybe even cracking the pros. I was flattered by his comments, but I thought, you don't know much about basketball <laughs> or about how to assess talent, because no matter how hard I work, there's no way I will be playing ever in the pros. Now, I absolutely wholeheartedly appreciate and agree with what Carol Dweck, a professor of psychology at Stanford, describes as a, quote, growth mindset. That if we work hard at something, if we deliberately practice something, whether it's sports or music or art or how to cultivate an area of our intellect or grow our relationship, we can really develop and see progress. But it's simply not true that if we work really hard at something, we can become whatever we want. Now, if someone tells us that if you work really hard at something, you can become whatever you want, that is an exciting message. But what if you work really hard at, say, a sport, art, music, school, work, a relationship, and you don't achieve what you hope for. You can feel like a failure. You can feel shame. We're currently in a sermon series on what it looks like to live freer from toxic shame and from our truest, that is, the part of ourself that most reflects God's image. And today we're going to be looking at how paradoxically, or seemingly paradoxically, when we embrace our limits, we actually live with more freedom, not just from toxic shame, but from um, all kinds of other constraints as well, that we, we live with more liberty. Now, the one person in human history who could have lived a life without limits was Jesus, Jesus being the unique son of God. But we read in, in scripture in Philippians 2 that when God mysteriously became a human being and was given the name Jesus, God emptied himself as a human being of full access to his powers as God. And so as a newborn baby, Jesus would not have been able to feed himself. He would have had to learn to breastfeed. When Jesus was about one, years, uh, one, year old, uh, one year old, he would have learned to say his first word. As a toddler, Jesus would have stumbled and, and fell and scraped his knee as he was learning to walk. When Jesus was a teenager and working as an apprentice carpenter with his dad, uh, he would have learned to hammer a nail. He, it wouldn't be like he just automatically knew how to hammer a nail. 
and he would have missed the nail sometimes and hit his thumb and he would have yelled out in pain. He probably wouldn't have cursed using his first name. <laughs> but just like you and me, he would, have, he would have screamed as he hit his thumb. Jesus also grew thirsty and hungry and tired. Jesus was also limited by what he understood to be God's will for his life. And so in the Gospel of John chapter 5, we read that Jesus was in Jerusalem by the pool of Bethesda. We read in the passage in, in, in the beginning of John 5 that there were many people there at the pool of Bethesda with all kinds of disabilities, uh, people who were paralyzed and who were blind. And as we continue reading, we see that Jesus only heals one person that day, someone who couldn't walk, someone who was paralyzed. And later, in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus explains why. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Let's take a moment to pray. Living God, we thank you that through Jesus Christ, we see who you really are. We get a window into your nature and character, into truth, into life itself. But we also thank you that Jesus showed us the way to live, and through his life, we pray that we would gain wisdom and understanding in how to live ours. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So in a passage like John 5 and in other parts of the gospel, we see that although Jesus was the greatest human being to ever walk the face of this planet, he didn't try to cram as much as possible into his relatively short lifespan on earth of about 33 years. Jesus chose to be limited by and therefore liberated by what he understood to be God's will for his life. Jesus was limited by and also liberated by God's will, God the Father's will for his life. Part of the reason Jesus didn't try and stuff as much activity into his life as was theoretically possible Part of the reason why he, Jesus didn't strive to achieve as much as he possibly could have was because he didn't feel like he had to prove anything to God his Father. He knew that he was already loved as his unique son. But Jesus also didn't try to cram as much as possible into his life because he was seeking to understand what his Father's will was for him he understood that he didn't have to do everything so he could embrace his limits, say no to what wasn't his father's will, and therefore know greater peace and contentment and freedom in his life. Now, when we don't like a part of who we are or feel shame, a sense of not enough, 
and that may be conscious or unconscious. When we are dissatisfied with part of who we are, we will tend to try to become a different person. We may try to become very successful, or we may try to become very, very nice, or the kind of person who meets every single possible need, and we will find ourselves busy, 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 busy. And taking on what Marilyn Robinson, the very gifted novelist and the author of Gilead, describes as a spirit of joyless urgency. A spirit of joyless urgency. But if we walk in the footsteps of Jesus as we are called to, and like Jesus, if we seek to discern what it is God is calling us into, God's will for our life, for a particular situation, we will realize that we don't have to do everything, that we can embrace our limits, say no to what isn't God's will. Obviously, we say yes to what we understand to be God's will, but say no to what isn't God's will for us and live with a greater sense of spaciousness and freedom and peace and contentment. Parker Palmer, the Quaker elder and wise man, describes how he himself came to this realization. In his beautiful book, Let Your Life Speak, he writes these words. If I try to be or do something noble that has nothing to do with who I am, I may look good to others and to myself for a while, but the fact that I am exceeding my limits will eventually have consequences. I will distort myself, the other, and our relationship and may end up doing more damage than if I had never set out to do this particular good. And then Palmer gives a personal example. Over the years, I have met people who have made a very human claim on me by making known their need to be loved. For a long time, my response was instant and reflexive, born of oughts I had absorbed. Of course you need to be loved, everyone does, and I love you. Parker says, it took me a long time to understand that although everyone needs to be loved, I cannot be the source of that gift to everyone who asks me for it. There are some relations in which I am capable of love and others in which I am not. To pretend otherwise, to put out promissory notes I am unable to honor, is to damage my own integrity and that of the person in need, all in the name of love. So Parker Palmer realized that, of course, everyone needs to be loved. But he also came to realize that he cannot be the source of that love for every single person who needs that love. Obviously, he can be that source for some, but not for everyone. And when he realized that, it felt like a big weight had fallen off his back. Now, everyone needs to be loved, but when we realize that we cannot be the source of that love for everyone, we too can feel like a burden has fallen off our back. And we can live freer from the niggling shame that can come from feeling that we haven't done quite enough. And so when we walk in the footsteps of Jesus and seek to discern God's will for us, 
and realize we don't have to do everything, that we can say no to those things that are outside of God's will for us. We can live with greater freedom and spaciousness, contentment, and peace. More space also opens up for us to do what we really believe to be God's will for us. Ingo Moxon is a part of our faith community. He's been part of 10th for a long time. He and his family are part of our East Van site. Ingo works for a large and well-known company here in BC. And he has shared with me and given me permission to pass this on to you, uh, that over his career, at times, he has been asked if he would be willing to move into a senior executive position at his company. And he's always said no. And he told me the reason he has said no is because he realizes that if he were to say yes to becoming a senior executive at his company, that he would spend far less time with his wife Carmen, his kids who are now teenagers, Charlotte and Ryan, and, and now Husna, a newcomer to Canada who, who, who lives with their family. Ingo was also telling me that he realizes that if he had taken a senior executive position at his company, even if he were physically present at home, given his temperament, his mind would be filled with all of his work responsibilities so he wouldn't actually be really present at home. And he said, I'm thankful that I made the right decision here. Although my ego sometimes wonders, why didn't you move up? But he told me, I have no regrets. I've spoken to mothers and fathers who naturally want their children to grow up as accomplished people, but are also aware that if their children are overscheduled, they will be stressed, anxious, and exhausted. So they put a limit or said no to certain extracurricular activities for their younger children so they can enjoy their childhood. Discerning what to say yes to, what to say no to. Walking in the footsteps of Jesus, realizing we don't have to do everything or push others to do everything can enable us to live with greater freedom and peace and contentment. We've alluded to making a choice to do what it is that God is calling us to do, but how do we actually discern that? How do we know that God is calling us to say yes to something particular? I find Thomas Kelly's counsel helpful here. In his classic book, A Testament of Devotion, he says, and this is a paraphrase, unless there is a divine yes from our center, say no so you don't get too busy. In other words, unless we feel a divine yes rising up in our spirit in response to a potential opportunity, a sense of energy, a sense of peace, it's probably good to say no so we don't get too busy. The spiritual masters tell us that when we choose a path that is in line with God's will, that path tends to be accompanied by feelings of peace, a sense of energy, a sense of connection with God. On the other hand, 
if we're choosing something that is outside of God's will for us, that path tends to be accompanied by feelings of restlessness, anxiety, and disconnection with God. Now, at times, God will call us to something that's really hard and really challenging. But as we look within, we will still feel a sense of peace and rightness and connection with God in that choice, if it is, in fact, God's will. Now, having said that, there are obviously times when we do what we're obliged to do. If we have a loved one, a family member who falls sick or gets injured, we take them to the hospital. We, you know, we don't say, uh, I, I don't feel any joy around that. We just do it. Uh, Jesus said, even on your Sabbath day, if your child or your donkey falls into a ditch, what do you do? You, 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 you pull your child or donkey out of the ditch. And there are times, there are seasons when life will feel really, really full for us. Uh, when we're raising young children, uh, when we have to work two or, th- or three jobs just to make ends meet, or we're caring for elderly parents, there are seasons that will be really, really full for us. But often, we can find ourselves very, very busy, not out of true necessity, but because we've had overly porous boundaries. Overly porous boundaries. And part of the way that we can follow in the footsteps of Jesus, discern God's will, realize we don't have to do everything, can say no to the things that we sense are outside of God's plan for us, and no greater freedom and peace, to use a modern expression, is to resist FOMO, the fear of missing out, and then to embrace JOMO, the joy of missing out. That's, that's a struggle for some of us. A woman named Cynthia was recalling a time when she was a 12-year-old girl. And she said, um, my dad had a a business trip that he was going to take to San Francisco. And so we planned to actually share part of that experience together. And uh, we we planned uh, the day. Uh, My dad said, I'm going to be giving a speech at the convention center there in San Francisco. And after I'm done, I will walk to a back room at about 4.30. So he said to Cynthia, I want you to meet me there. That'll be the plan. And then before everyone descends on me and wants to talk to me, we will rush out of the building and we'll catch a tram to Chinatown. We'll have Chinese food, their favorite. And then we'll shop in San Francisco for a little while, buy a souvenir. And and they talked about how they would then see a movie together, head back to the hotel, go for a late night swim, even though the pool was probably closed, and then enjoy hot fudge Sunday. So they had been planning this this outing, this getaway, this date for, for actually months. And so when the day rolled around, everything was going according to plan. The father finished his speech, stepped into this back room at about 4.30, met his 12-year-old daughter, Cynthia, there. They were about to make a getaway when out of nowhere, one of her dad's old friends from university shows up with his wife, Lois. And uh, her dad's friend says, "I I heard that you were in town, and so 
Lois and I wanted to invite you to a spectacular seafood dinner at Fisherman's Wharf. Uh, it had been ages since they had seen each other, and so um, uh, the father uh, embraced his, his, his friend who he hadn't seen in, in, in years and said, Bob, it's great to see you. A dinner, uh, a seafood uh, at Fisherman's Wharf sounds, sounds fantastic. And Cynthia said, as a, as a 12-year-old, my heart just sank because I hated seafood. <laughs> I imagine being bored you know, with all the adult conversation and my visions of riding a tram with my dad, seeing a movie and eating hot fudge sundaes just evaporated. My dad continued, Bob, it'd be great to have a, a seafood dinner with, with you and Lois and, and thanks also for inviting Cynthia, but not tonight. And he looked at Cynthia and said, we have a special date plan, don't we? And he winked at her and she said, yes, we do. <laughs> And he took her by the hand, they ran out, and they had a night in San Francisco that was unforgettable. And as Cynthia shared that story, she got emotional because her dad, who was Stephen Covey, the respected management thinker and the author of the best-selling book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, had just died three weeks before. And so it was really even more special to her as she share that in that moment of appreciation. I don't know if Stephen was thinking about this consciously in the moment, but he was resisting FOMO, the fear of missing out on a good seafood dinner with his old college buddy and his wife there in San Francisco, resisting FOMO, the fear of missing out, and embracing JOMO, the joy of missing out, the joy of being able to do something with his daughter which created a memory which would last her whole lifetime. Um, the joy of missing out, the joy of doing what was most important, what he felt called to do in, in that moment. So as we walk in the footsteps of Jesus and seek to discern God's will for us, we can embrace our limits. We can say no to what's outside of God's will and no greater freedom and peace. We can also learn to embrace our limits as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, as we are willing to ask others for help when we need it. Even though Jesus was the unique son of God, he didn't see himself as being beyond the help of other people. On the night before he went to the cross in the garden of Gethsemane, he was praying for God's guidance and God's strength. And he asked his fellow um, his friends, his, 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 his students, uh, his disciples, to pray for him. He said, watch and, and pray for me. It must have ended up falling asleep, but he still asked them for help. And part of the way we can embrace our limits is to be willing to ask for help when we need it and to be willing to receive help when it comes to us when we need it. I'm, I'm grateful that uh, I'm part of a community here at 10th where I've seen this happening. Uh, I've been in people's homes where um, someone's been quite ill or facing some kind of disease, and I, I, I see that other people in the community are bringing meals to them. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, which Craig alluded to earlier, um, 
It was a joy to see people from our community bringing groceries or toilet paper or whatever was needed to folks who couldn't get out and go shopping, whether uh, who uh, were part of 10th or, or part of their neighborhood or people that they knew in some other context. And so we can follow in the footsteps of Jesus and embrace our limits by discerning God's will, by understanding what's not God's will and saying no to that, and by asking for or receiving help as we need it. As I mentioned earlier, part of the reason why Jesus did not try and cram into his lifetime every possible activity and achievement was in part because he felt he had nothing to prove. He knew that he was loved by God, his Father. In fact, before Jesus had done anything of public note at his baptism, you know, before he had um, ever taught or, as far as we know, brought healing to anyone, God the Father said of him at his baptism, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. In one of the earlier messages in this series, I asked the question, can you imagine someone who has loved you into being? And I got the idea for that question from Fred Rogers, who um, died some years ago, and, and who for many years hosted a popular children's television program. And he would sometimes ask people or groups of people, um, can you think of someone who has loved you into being into the person you are today? Picture that person. And then sometimes you'd follow up by saying, remember that you don't have to do anything great in order to be loved. I recently read John Green's book, Anthropocene Reviewed. And in that book, John Green describes how, as a young adult, he was working uh, to train to become a chaplain in a local hospital. And as he was working as this chaplain intern at this local hospital, he remembers how one day a three-year-old boy with severe burns was brought into the ward. And um, he was burned so severely that the attending physician said, I know what that boy's last words are. And John said, I felt so useless because I couldn't really do anything to help him. I just felt so impotent, so, so useless. And John said, I, 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 I prayed for him every day for my whole life. Even when I stopped believing in prayer, I continued to pray for him, and I didn't know what happened to him. John said, I'm pretty good at Googling people. Um, and I could have easily Googled him because he had an unusual name, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to Google him. But then one day, years and years later, I was in front of my computer, and I typed in his name, I Googled him, and he came up. And uh, I don't know if horns were blaring at the time or not, but he said, I discovered that he was alive, that he was a college student studying. And I just found my saying, myself saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And John said, I wrote about that because sometimes it's enough just to be alive.
Sometimes it's enough just to be alive. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we don't cultivate our gifts, that we don't make a contribution, but sometimes it's enough just to be alive. You don't need to be super wealthy to be loved. You don't need to be famous. You don't need to be spectacularly accomplished to be loved. You are loved by your maker. You are loved by the creator of the universe. And if you are a daughter of God, a son of God, you can know that even before you experienced that status, that while you were yet a sinner, according to Paul in Romans 5, 8, God in Christ demonstrated his love for you by dying for you. And when you realize that you are loved without condition by your maker, you're more likely to be willing to embrace your limits, to say no to what's outside of God's will. You'll have that kind of freedom and you'll live with greater contentment and peace and freedom. You cannot be anything you want, but you can be all that you are called to be. And as you embrace your limits and entrust your life to God, he will shape you into a unique, made-in-his-image masterpiece. And you will do the will of God and you will fulfill the purpose for your existence. And that is nothing to be ashamed of. Let's pray together. Perhaps on this Thanksgiving Sunday, you can simply pray, God, thank you that I don't have to do everything. And maybe there's something that you are grasping or holding on to or about to grasp or hold on to that may be outside of God's will for you. And maybe you're being given the freedom to let go of that. And in your spirit, you can do that now. Just to let go and Just release that into God's hands. I let go of or I release. Virtually every morning after a period of silence, I pray a prayer by Charles Difficult called the Prayer of Abandonment. And so let me lead us in that prayer. If it expresses your heart, you can pray it in your spirit with me. The Prayer of Abandonment by Charles Difficult. I abandon myself into your hands. God, do with me what you will. Whatever you do, I am ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me. And in all your creatures, I wish no more than this. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it with all the love of my heart. For I love you, Lord, and so need to give myself, to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence. For you are my.
Father, my good Father. Amen.